0: I would draw your attention this morning back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I think we'll read verse 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. In the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it has been given to us, that you have given it to us, that we might be instructed, that we might learn from it, that we might have our eyes open to the truth. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would bring light to your word, that we may know you more fully, see more fully the, the great need that we have, the great need for a mediator, great need for Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might see that we have nothing in and of ourselves that is worthy of being in your presence. Lord, but that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Lord, we pray you'd open the word this morning. Feed us from it, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears and our hearts that we might receive it. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever known someone who deals in theoretical things? You ever known anybody like that? That likes to deal in theoretical things or theories? Always talking about things that could be or ways to solve problems that may exist or may eventually exist. There is some value in these things if they're done correctly, if they're done in balance with the things that are actually happening in the real world. But if you've ever met someone who only seems to be geared that way, it can be quite frustrating. Sometimes, oftentimes, maybe we should say there are always problems that are real and that are right in front of us. We don't have to imagine or theorize about potential problems. Grace is laughing at me. We have enough problems right before our own eyes, don't we? These problems must be addressed. These problems must be faced. I know we've already stated in regard to this portion of Scripture not being something that we have to theorize about, but something that is very practical. I know we've already stated this, but for two main reasons, I think it is worth stating again. The lesser of the reasons is that it has been a few weeks since we've been here. Uh, With things that have gone on in life, and uh, unfortunately things that we've been dealing with, um, it's been a few weeks since we've been in this portion of God's Word. But for the main reason, the fundamental reason, is that we are dealing, what we are dealing with here in Genesis is so important. It's foundational. Yeah, this is the beginning of God's self-revelation a revelation of himself. And is here that we have something that is not speculative. It's not theoretical, but it's altogether practical. It's the problem that is facing all of mankind every single day that we live on this earth. And here in our text from Genesis that we've been dealing with, we have this foundation. We have the practical doctrines of what God, our Creator God, our Covenant God, our Yahweh Elohim, if you recall, is revealing to us about what He wants us to know about His creation, about the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, And about his provision in light of that fall that occurred here in Genesis chapter 3. There's nothing more practical than this. Nothing more needed in every area of our life than this. Every generation of mankind that has ever existed, that is existing or ever will exist has need of this. We cannot separate ourselves from this. Pamela and I just talked about this right before the service. We can't remove it from our view, from our teaching, from our preaching, as some would have us to do, to unhitch the church from passages of Scripture in the Old Testament like this. We have a very practical example of this going on over the last couple of weeks. Very practical example of this regarding marriage this is not a theoretical issue this is a practical practical issue which god in his word gives us his revelation regarding we've already looked at this in genesis 2 20 through 24 what is marriage this is the this is the issue this practical issue that has come up over the last come to light over the last few weeks regarding one of a a, a very well-known, normally very sound biblical minister and expositor. What is marriage? Well, God gives us the answer of what marriage is here. Who is marriage between? God gives us the answer. What does the union of marriage look like? God gives us his answer. And because he is God, and he is the creator, and he is our sovereign Lord, what he reveals in his revealed word is what we believe about marriage and what we will stand on about marriage, even if it's against the whole world. So we see that what we are looking at here in these opening chapters of Genesis is foundational. It's at the very bedrock of our foundation of what we believe. Our practical needs, our greatest needs. We find the foundation for why we have those needs. What has been done in light of those needs right here in what God has revealed to us about himself and about us and what he has done. We talked about the question of why and we continue this morning talking about that question and we now begin to arrive at an answer that we talked about this question weeks and weeks and weeks ago. We won't get through all of it in this message, but we'll this morning start to look at it it, and what is most needful for us to understand in light of what we see around us and what our great need is and where that great need comes from, we will see this morning the fall of man. The fall of man. So let us begin. We read in verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Let's remember before we continue, let's briefly recall what has occurred leading up to this. God has created the heavens and the earth. And all that he created was declared to be what? Very good. Very good. God placed man, the the crowning creature of his creation, he placed him in the paradise of God where he was to have dominion over creation and he was to subdue it. God gives him one prohibition, only one. Only one found in in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 2, which reads, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One prohibition, one only. Then God provided for Adam a perfect helper fit for him. He caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and he takes out a rib from Adam's side and he creates a woman. He creates Eve out of what he had taken from man. And then he presents this creation of his, Eve, to Adam to be his perfect companion, his helpmate, his helper, someone who was fit for him and joins them together to become one flesh. We then proceed through what God has declared to us through his word, to that which we had, we've read just a, a moment ago. Well, this is what we dealt with the last couple of messages here from Genesis, where Eve entered into what we referred to, if you remember, as the dialogue of dissent with Satan. The dialogue of descent with the serpent that came and spoke to her here in the garden of God. We saw in our whole, in in the last message, this, this whole conversation between Eve and the serpent. We saw here was a descent from the heights of knowing God's word to questioning God's word and then ultimately rejecting God's word. And now we see the rebellion that takes place in disobeying God's word. Eve, the woman, deceived by the serpent, looks upon the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree, forbidden, The one tree that they were forbidden to eat the fruit born on it. And we come now to the bottom of the descent. To the fall that takes place here in verse 6 of chapter 3. It's often pictured that this, this fall, these things took place in a very, very short amount of time. And in the location, we talked about this briefly, in the location where that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there in the garden of God in the midst of the garden, alongside the tree of life. But this is something we can't be certain of. Uh, I personally think that there may have been time involved in this, in this descent into rebellion, uh, because that's often the case as it is in our own lives. These things often take time. How many times had Eve passed by this very tree and passed by the fruit hanging from this particular tree but after this cunning this this uh, crafty conversation between our enemy and eve we see that the the deception has taken full root and will continue until it leads to the reality of the actual transgression that was done here in the garden something changed in eve's mind regarding the fruit of this tree. I imagine she passed by it several times between the time that she had the dialogue with Satan and when she partook of the fruit. Maybe each time a little resolve, a little fear of what God had commanded and the punishment attached to a transgression of that command began to diminish in Eve's mind. Is this not often the case with us? Is it not? We have temptation beginning and our resolve to do that which is right diminishes as we think about the temptation and the thing which we desire until it leads to what? To sin. Look at what God reveals to us here about Eve. She saw that the tree was good for fruit. She saw that the tree was good for food. God's prohibi- a prohibition against it began to diminish as she beheld the fruit. She saw that it appeared to be much like the fruit on the other trees that were in the garden. She thought, she reasoned from a now deceived mind that there is nothing different about it. Nothing dangerous. It looked good. What does the text say? It appeared not only to her to be good for food, but that it was a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful to behold. She forgets that it wasn't the fruit that, would, it, that was bad, but it was that it was God's command, or prohibition to eat the fruit that was evil. She forgets that as she continues to gaze and see that the, good, the food, that the fruit was good for food and a delight to the eyes. You see what she does? She takes God's word and makes it subject to what she observes and what she judges to be right and wrong. Here is what we discussed last time. The serpent's snare has been sprung and has now fully closed itself upon the mind of Eve. Remember what we talked about last time. The way this works in our minds. In Eve's mind, Satan inferring certain things that causes her to think God has been holding out on me. He's been holding me back. From reaching my potential. Because when she looks at it, she sees that it is also fruit that is able to make one wise. It's not just good for food and a delight to the eyes, it's also something that is able to make one wise. God's been holding back on her, God's been keeping her from reaching her potential. He's been keeping something from you is the lie of the devil. Keeping you from reaching the height of wisdom to which you might attain. Just go ahead and take of the fruit, Eve. It's a fruit that will make you wise, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. What a dreadful deception was wrought upon the mind of of our first mother Eve, that she would desire a false notion of wisdom, that she would desire to know both good and evil instead of just the goodness of her creator and her God. Calvin says that Eve could previously behold the tree with such sincerity that no desire to eat of it affected her mind for the faith She had in the word of God was the best guardian of her heart and all of her senses. But now, after the heart had declined from faith and from the obedience of the word, she corrupted both herself and all her senses, and depravity was now diffused through all parts of her soul as well as her body. It is, therefore, a sign of impious defection that the woman now judges. Do you see the difference? It's not God who is judging now, it is Eve who is judging. That the woman now judges the tree to be good for food eagerly delights herself in beholding it and persuades herself that it is desirable for the sake of acquiring wisdom, whereas before she had passed by it a hundred times with an unmoved and tranquil look. She began to delight in the thought of the fruit more than the delight of her creator in her God. She fell victim to what happens to all of us when we sin. First John 2.16 tells us, When John speaks of the love of the world, the things in the world that entice us, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Three things he mentions there, John does. In 1 John 2.16, this is exactly what Eve fell prey to. Exactly what she fell prey to. To the desire of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. She saw that the fruit was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. And to the pride of life. She saw that the tree was desired to make one wise. This, my friends, is the case with all of us when we fall into any manner of sin. It is desired by the flesh, by the eyes, and we are drawn to it by the pride of life. Remember what we talked about at the end of our last sermon from our text a few weeks ago. We get twisted in our thinking because of our lust for that which is forbidden... And believe once again that God is holding back on us. Not giving us what we want. Pride says, I want. Give it to me. Give me what I want. Give me what I desire. And twists us into believing that God is withholding from us. Keeping things from us that we desire. And even thinking that he is holding back and keeping things from us that are good for us. The flesh replaces the truth with lies. James 1, 14 through 17. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And James says, do not be deceived, brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Look to God to tell you what is good and what He wishes to give you rather than the desires of your fleshly, sinful heart. Desire conceived in the heart of Eve. Isn't that the words we see from our text in Genesis? Desire. And desire... When it has conceived, brings forth sin. And what does God says happens when they transgress his command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In the day that you eat of it, he told Adam what? You'll surely die. What does James tell us? When sin has conceived, it brings forth what? It brings forth death. And what does Eve do when her desire is conceived? Look at the text. What does she do? She took of the fruit and she ate. This is the downward progression of things regarding sin. We look, we desire, we take, we eat. Matthew Henry says of this, The way of sin is downhill. The way of sin is downhill. The beginning of it is as the breaking forth of water to which it is hard to say, hitherto thou shalt come and no further. I can't imagine trying to stop, standing at the brink of Niagara Falls, trying to stop the flowing water once it starts to go. That's the way sin is in our lives. When we conceive of this desire for that which is not godly, that is not good. We desire it. We, we, we get our minds twisted until we desire it more than we desire to do that which God says to do. And we sin. Eve looked. She desired. She took and she ate in total disregard for the word of God. And even for the word of God knowing what the penalty for transgressing that command was. This is the history, brothers and sisters, of every sin, every temptation and every sin. This is the history of it. An outward object of affection, the desire for that object that festers in our minds the increase and the overwhelming nature of that desire overtaking us, ending in ruin and shame and sin. And as is often the case with us, we often bring others in to partake of our sin. Eve gave to her husband. She gave to her husband the fruit and he ate as well. When Adam should have been leading as the head of this union that God had himself had established, when he should have been leading, he was being led by his wife. Scripture tells us he was with her. Now whether he was with her in the temptation that Eve experienced with Satan, or he was with her when she took of the fruit and ate it, little matters. He had every opportunity to speak up. He had every opportunity to declare what God had said. The command was given to him. He had every opportunity to refuse the fruit that his wife had given him. But that's not what occurred. Scripture tells us that he also ate. I think here we may have an instance that we have spoken of in Romans 1.25 where Paul tells us that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Adam Believe the words of the serpent over the creator. Whether he heard it directly from the serpent's lips or whether he heard it from the lips of Eve when she took of the fruit, here is food and you shall not surely die. It's what Satan told Eve. A direct contradiction to what God said. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship the creature rather than the creator. It's often discussed that Adam was so enamored with the wife that God had given him. At this moment, he was more willing to worship that which God had provided for him than the God who provided it for him. More willing to worship what God had provided him than, than the God who had provided her. For him. We won't take time to delve into this. Really doesn't benefit us greatly to speculate on the how and why he took the fruit given to him. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's enough that he did it. And that he did it as not only a single person. But Adam did this as our federal head as our representative for all of humanity. We were all in Adam when he fell. And by it, he cast all of humanity into sin and depravity. Romans 5.12 makes that very clear to us. Where Paul writes and he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We inherited from our father Adam a sin nature. Do you see why we say that here is teaching most practical? That we must not unhitch from This is what we must proclaim. We may theorize and we may speculate on many things, but here is practicality at its fullness. Why is the world the way it is? Here's your answer. Why is my heart so prone to do that which is damaging to myself and to others? Here is your answer. Why is pride so strong within me? Here's your answer. Why is there war? Why is there conflict? Why is there a daily struggle in life? Here is your answer. Why do I rebel against my parents? Here is my answer. Adam 8. That's your answer. Remember what we said several weeks ago regarding this passage. This passage actually begins in verse 25 of chapter 2. Where we read and the woman and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And it carries through here in chapter 3 to verse 7. Then the eyes they ate and then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Something changed. Something happened. Whereas previously they were both naked and were unashamed. And now they knew that they were naked and they sought to cover their nakedness with something of their own devising. Something of their own making. Trying to remedy The case of their nakedness. Well, what was it that happened? This may take a couple weeks to fully address, but let's sum it up right here by saying they died. They died. God said, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What happened? They died. Something did has, uh, did happen as evidenced by the change which is brought to, your, to our attention in this issue of nakedness and the desire to cover it up. Mankind, in the futility of our minds and our now sinful hearts, would have man's word over God's word. They will repeat the lie of Satan, you shall not surely die. How many times have you heard an unbeliever come to you with something from Genesis here and say, See, they didn't die? They lived. They didn't die. Well, I would say that this is directly contradictory to God's word that man did die, and that the word of God has been fulfilled. And I hope to make that somewhat more clear to you and to all of us here this morning in the time that we have remaining. It's all evidenced in what we read in verse 7 and verse 8. Let's read them again so we will know what it is as we look at this. Verse 7 and verse 8 of Genesis 3, Then the eyes of both were opened, And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves, made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me ask you this morning to think about something. What is death? What is death? I want you to think about that for a moment. What is death? It's a concept we speak of quite often, isn't it? We speak of death all the time. Should we not then have a knowledge of what we mean by death? Some of this denial of Scripture... I wholeheartedly believe is brought about by a denial and a misunderstanding regarding what death is. Death is not ceasing to exist. Death is not annihilation. Death is not the ceasing of circulatory functions of the body and respiratory functions of the body. That is not death. Death is separation. That's what death is. Mankind was made by God to be a comp- composition of body and soul. So that when we call when we say that physical death occurs, it is not that this person ceases to be. It is that there is a separation. Between the body and the soul. The soul does not die. The body decays but the person lives on. Yes there will be what we refer to as physical death. That is one, consequences, one consequence of the fall. Both Adam and Eve would eventually go through this process of what we refer to as physical death death as we all will but death is not just this death is something far more than this death is separation i think that we have a way of speaking about death that actually comes closer to what death truly is than what we think the definition of death is You've probably heard someone say about this person or that person, they are dead to me. They are dead to me. What do they mean by that? What does that mean? It means that they are separated. That they are removed from. They're no longer in communion or in right standing with them. They are dead to them. What really happens when we say a loved one dies? They are separated from us. We no longer have communion with them. I cannot go to my grandparents and have a conversation with them. I cannot approach them as we can approach one another. There is a separation that has occurred. So when Adam sinned, And yes, it was when Adam sinned and not when Eve sinned that we find death occurring. They in one sense died to each other. They did not have the closeness of the union that they had when God first brought them together and and made them husband and wife. We'll see more of that in just a short time. But what is more, something foundational, something fundamental in a very real and practical way changed in a relational way between Adam and Eve and God. This is death. They died to God when they sinned against God. God and sin can never be at peace. It cannot happen. They are in contention with one another. They are at enmity to one another. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Second Corinthians 6.14, listen. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship, what communion, what relationship has light with darkness? Light and darkness cannot exist in the same place in the same time. Cannot happen. You go into a dark room and you flip on a light switch and what happens? There's light. Just as sinful man apart from a mediator who is sinless, cannot be in communion with God. The man that is in sin is in a state of death, separated from God, at odds with God, out of communion with His God and Creator. This is exactly what we find being described in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. And you can keep your finger in here because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. Look at Ephesians 2. Verse 1 through 3. Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 3. And you were what? You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. You lived in death? You were dead in trespasses and sins? Well, we all once lived like that? We all once lived in death. This is what I'm talking about. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Where did we get that death? Where did it come from? Like the rest of mankind, it came from Adam. We inherited this sinful nature. We inherited this death through our father, Adam. This is the death I've been describing that we see here in our text in Genesis 3. But you might say, well, I don't see anything here about separation. I don't see anything here about lack of communion or alienation in that that we just read. Well, wait, there's more. Go down to verse... Eleven, therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircum by uncircumcision um, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without. God in the world. Do you see this? This is what death is. Separation from the sovereign God. Without God, without communion with the triune God, we without Him are dead. Strangers. Living as being alienated from God. With no hope without God in the world. This is what death is. How can you ever have eternal death if death, death is the ceasing of being? No, eternal death is what? Eternally being separated from God. It has nothing to do with annihilationism. It has nothing to do with ceasing to be. It has everything to do with separation from God Almighty. Adam and Eve died to God. What a great loss loss of communion. Acceptance with God. Thomas Boston writes about this in the very first volume of Thomas Boston's work. He's a great Puritan theologian and pastor. Described this loss of communion, this death. Listen to how he described it. This is the greatest of all losses and miseries. This is the greatest of all losses and miseries. Had the sun been forever darkened in the heavens, it had been no such loss as this. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were naked and unashamed in perfect union with their creator God and having transgressed this one prohibition. One, death comes by sin and they were naked And they were afraid. They sensed the loss of something. Maybe not even yet understanding what great an extent this loss was to them. But they understood that something had changed. That God's word had proven true that they died. They have their eyes opened. Not their physical eyes. The eyes of their understanding, they knew that they were naked. Something had changed. Something that was, is no longer. I wish we had more time regarding this, but let's leave it here and say that death through sin had just entered the created world just as God said it would in Genesis 217 But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So sensing this change. Sensing that something had been lost. Adam and Eve do what is very natural to all of us. Who find ourselves having committed sin try and clothe ourselves. Adam and Eve did what? They knew that they were naked and in futility, they tried to cover it up. They tried to remedy the loss that they had experienced. They tried to fill the void. They tried to make a covering to hide their nakedness. They attempted to do something about sin on their own human terms and by their own human understanding, which is the very thing that led them into the predicament that we are all now in. My friends, this is the effort that we see going on all around us. Let's block our guilt just out of our mind with activity, with music, with art, with politics, to make something to cover up that void that exists in this loss of communion, this death to our Creator. Maybe we'll try and find friends that won't judge us, that want to participate in our sin. Let me just spend some money to to quell that feeling that I have within me of unease that is inherit, inherent in me because of my sin. And let, let's even participate in religion to give me some twisted thinking that I have some relief, something I can work towards, something I can do for myself something of my own making to cover my need. So great is this compulsion, especially towards religion, that we find Paul in Acts 17, 22 through 23, in the midst of a people who had created gods of their own making, their own devising in an effort to fill the loss incurred by Adam in the fall. We read there, Luke records for us in Acts 17, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul was telling them, Let me tell you about the true God. The real God, the one that you have been running from, that you have been hiding from. This is exactly what Adam and Eve had done here in Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden we will create anything of our own making to try and cover up the need that we have instead of running right to the one who can actually accomplish what is needed to take us out of our death and bring us back into life. The fig leaf, that apron that they made, wasn't enough to cover them, so they sought to hide from God, their creator, and their provider If a leaf wasn't enough to hide, maybe I can go hide in a forest full of trees. And that's what they did. But we read earlier, Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Later on, the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? A big fig leaf isn't enough. A whole forest full of trees isn't enough. God sees all. When all along, the one whom they had wronged, the one who had right and authority as creator and maker and sustainer, the one who alone could remedy The situation that Adam and Eve had fallen into was right there in the garden. And what did they do? They hid from him. Adam didn't go seeking God when he sent. Neither does man apart from God coming to him first. Man, apart from God drawing him out of his hiding place, will not come to the light that he may have life. Isn't that what Scripture teaches us? Man will do everything he can, just as Adam did, to hide from God and to cover up his sin. He knows things aren't right. He knows he is naked and his sinfulness is on display for all the world to see and the one and only source of help he runs from. He knows innately, though he'll never admit that he is full of sin. His own heart bears witness to this within him. The difference between good and evil, says Calvin, is engraven on the hearts of all, but all bury their disgrace of their vices under flimsy leaves till God, by His voice, strikes inwardly their consciences. This is what we'll look at, Lord willing, when we return in a couple weeks to this text. But I want you to ponder until then, who is the seeker? Who is the seeker? Is it Adam? Who went to find sinful Adam? Adam. But as we draw to a close here this morning, I don't want any who may hear this, who maybe God's word is striking at their hearts, pricking at their conscience to reveal to them that they are indeed dead in trespasses and sins, that they're alienated from God, that they're not in communion with God, they're strangers to Him. That they've been trying to hide from him. If maybe the Word of God is revealing to them that they have no hope in themselves and they're yet without God in the world, I don't want to leave without telling them that there's hope. There's provision made to those who are dead in sin, who have inherited, as we all have, this sin nature. God himself has provided a mediator. The word of God, the one who created all things, the one who upholds all things has been made our mediator, our redeemer, and that made the satisfaction of God's wrath against all these sins that have been committed and God's wrath not only against the sin, but God's wrath against the sinner to say that god hates sin but not the sinner is unbiblical the scripture tells us that god hates all workers of iniquity but christ jesus is the propitiation he is the satisfaction for those who have been saved. We'll see this prophesied to us shortly in Genesis. This one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word of God who created all things. We'll see the provision made in the types and pictures which point to this mediator, Jesus Christ. But for now, or if you're in the state where we leave Adam and Eve today, if you're in the state of deadness, Let me take you back to Ephesians 2 and close with the word which is given to us by this same God who Adam and each one of us have sinned against. Ephesians 2, and I want to take the time to read this chapter. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You're not making any leaf here. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through him, through Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Here is the hope that we'll see pictured for us shortly in Genesis. The work and the person of Jesus Christ who has brought those who were far, those who were alienated, those who were not in communion with God, those who were dead to God in trespasses and sins, Inherited in a sin nature, death from Adam that we just read about. When he took of the fruit and ate. He makes us alive to God. From death to life. Bringing us into communion and back into relationship with God Almighty. Reconciling us to God, gives us access to God, the father, and not only giving us access, but is making us who he makes alive into a dwelling place for God in the the spirit, by the spirit. This is why my friends, we will not shy away from teaching these things from the Old Testament will not hesitate to preach and teach the whole counsel of God from the Old and New Testament, will not unhitch from one because they are one revelation. They're not two separate. It's one revelation. It's God's whole word that makes known to us the whole of it. Man in Adam died, but in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the people of God have been made alive. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. Romans 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass, whose trespass? Adam's. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness. Whose act of righteousness? Jesus Christ's righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for life in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us from death to life. From strangers to family. From having no communion to being in communion with you. From having no access to to being able to come before You, even to make our prayers known to You through Christ. Lord, help us not to hide from You. If there are those here that are hiding this morning, Lord, draw them out of their hiding place. That they might see you as their hope, their source of life. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways. Strengthen us in your word. Strengthen our faith. Lord, and may we share this to a lost and dying world. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.